Thank you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. Good morning. I got to tell you, uh, I'll start. My name's Tyler. And that last name, you can just try to guess how to say that. Uh, uh, I'm one of the elders here at Sozo, and uh, I don't get to do this very much. This is sort of a special treat. As you probably know, our pastors, Mark and Ty Blair, are on sabbatical. And they will be returning to us in the very near future. Amen. Yeah. We're excited to see what the Lord's doing with them. But in the meantime, uh, God's giving uh, some of the other uh, leaders in the house an opportunity to just bring a word. And I got I to gotta be honest with you guys. Preachers often say, because I'm usually sitting out there, I hear it. They say, I'm excited about what God wants to say to you today. And I believe them. Don't get me wrong. I do. But there's a, a, a really special blessing that comes with the opportunity to bring God's word. It's something that I don't, I've, only, I've got to do it twice. This is my third time. And I will say the honor that it is to be able to receive from the Lord a word to impart to all of you. There's a blessing in that that I get to selfishly enjoy. But at the same time, it makes me genuinely excited to share what it is that I feel like the Lord has for us today. So... I'm going to get long-winded. I can already tell. That's, that's pretty early. Let's, uh, let's, oh boy. Okay. There we go. All right. So bump video, revisiting the wells. I'm going to quick pay, pay quick homage to this because there is a thread. Uh, you know, if you recall before uh, the Blairs left, before Mark left, he sort of set the stage for revisiting the wells. And what does that mean? Reminder. We're talking about wells as a point of access for an otherwise unseen provision. It's, it's, it's a resource that is available to us as believers, but it's not visible. It's not something that's, that's intuitive all the time. It's something that may be hidden, and yet God leads us to the place where we can access that provision. Amen? So... Uh, a couple other things. I mean, we don't have to dig these wells ourselves. We can, but oftentimes we get to benefit from the labor of others and from the, the movement of the Holy Spirit and the, and the truths that are in his word. Uh, but we have to know where they're located. We have to know where these places are, these point of access, so that we can, we can draw from the life and the resources and the provision that the Lord has uh, provided to us. So today's well... God's order of operations. I'm going to unpack what that means a little bit later. Uh, I changed the title of this sermon like 20 minutes ago. That's the, kind of, that's the kind of journey that the Lord's put me on, but I think this is it. This is it. So would you stand with me? We're going to read from God's word. 
We don't do this out of any type of tradition or just, uh, just to, I don't know, stretch our legs. We do this because just to honor, right? This is God's word. Uh, and even though, you know, the book doesn't save us, the life that's found in the book has the power to save. Amen. So let's read this. This is going to be Matthew 8. Oops. You guys do it. Matthew 8, 5 through 8. When he had entered Capernaum, this is speaking of Jesus, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him. A centurion was a Roman soldier. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, Jesus being, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, this is the part I want you to pay attention to, he marveled and said to those who follow him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. And now let's flip one more. Uh, You don't have to follow me on this one, but this is Mark chapter 6. Uh, verses 1 through 6. I'm having to do this, aren't I? Okay. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples follow him. This is, again, speaking of Jesus. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, by the way, that's the same Greek word, astonished, as marvel. Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are here and that you have a word for us, not just for the people here who you've brought for myself. I pray that your word would be communicated clearly, and that my garbage would just wither. We pray, Father, also for the people who have been affected by the fires in our city, our county. Lord, we know that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and he intends things for evil. But you take things, Lord, that are meant for evil, and you use them for good. And so we declare that over our city and over our county, over every house, every home, every family that was impacted or is in the the line of fire, literally. And we just say, God, Jesus, the one who spoke to the wind and the waves and creation submit and bow the knee to Jesus, we rebuke these fires and say, in the name of Jesus, you be stopped in your tracks. They are not to advance any further. In Jesus' name, we plead your blood over all of the people and the inhabitants of the area. We pray extinguishment of this fire in Jesus' name. We thank you, God, that even in the natural, you intercede on our behalf. 
And we pray, God, that, that, that your will would be done and it would be a testimony to the world of your hand and your move and your love and your care for your people. We love you. Be with us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. All right, everybody greet somebody and sit down. Buckle up. As the din of conversation begins to sort of simmer out, I'm just going to do the, the loving transition here. I'm glad you guys like each other. All right. God's order of operations. Subtitle, Marvelous Faith. Edited, 9.47 a.m. Sunday. God's order of operations. I feel uh, like that phrase was dropped into my heart several months ago for this morning. Uh, as Mark has shared, you know, the elders came together before uh, they left and kind of shared what was on our heart. And this, this, was, this was there, but I will tell you, I had a different perspective on how, how this might go. Thank you, Jesus. His ways are, are better than my ways. Um, the thing that I learned when I actually looked up what does order of operations mean, you guys are going to love this. This is a great start to a Sunday morning. It's a math principle. I thought we'd just like start at the very bottom and it would be all up or good from here because math is like awesome. Let's, let's talk about algebra. Somebody loves it. I hear it. Wow, this is, this is anointed algebra. Uh, here's the thing. Real quick, this is just, I, I didn't ask, this is God, you can blame him. This is, this is the phrase that he brought in order of operations. What does that mean? It means that when you're doing algebra and you have, you know, I don't even remember, I'm not good at math apparently, parenthetical little brackets, you have uh, exponents, you have the like squared and the, you have the multiplication, the division, the adding, the subtracting. There is an order and a sequence in which those operations have to be completed first, second, third, in order to get the right answer. Do you guys remember that? Yeah. Okay. If you don't remember that, I'm teaching you math today. <laughs> Unintended. But the, the, the point of the matter is that if you don't do it in the right order, it's not going to be the right outcome. And so, in brief, just a set of rules, the order of operations is a set of rules for how to solve a problem. God has an order of operations. And I will tell you, I'm putting a finger on this, it's not, it's not what you think it is. It's not what I think it is. It's not how we're hardwired. It's not what the world says. And we're going to unpack this a little bit. But there's a sequence that the Lord works in that is unintuitive. And we're going to unpack that today. 
What's the problem? The math problem, what's the problem that needs solving? In our world today, there's a problem of sin. It broke stuff when it entered the world, right? It, it impacted every human being that was born from that moment on. It impacted all of creation. And so there's a problem that we need solving. And I know we, we know the answer here is found in Jesus and the work of the cross. Amen. However, there's some other elements to this that are, are just, like I said, they're, they're counterintuitive. And what I mean by that, it's contrary to human logic. I don't know if any of you, how you process and think, but I'm a guy who just naturally lives up here. Like the gears are always spinning. There's just some like steam pouring out in, while I'm sleeping. Like there's just something that, about the machinery up here that got, and it's a blessing and it's, I won't say it's a curse, but there's sort of good and bad to that, right? Because, because human logic does not provide the insight that we need to understand God's order of operations. It's not that he's irrational, but a term that I learned from somebody that I, you know, a long time ago, great concept. It's not irrational, it's supra-rational. It exceeds our ability to process and understand. Does that make sense? And so, a couple examples of that. Uh, in Matthew, you're familiar probably with the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes uh, was, was really a sermon that, the, that Jesus made where he outlined where, to what qualities and to what individuals blessing would, would pour. And I'll just read it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Is that it? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Let's, let's do a quick review of that. Blessed are the poor in spirit, mourners, meek, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, persecuted and those who are reviled on his account. Is there anything in our culture or our world that esteems those circumstances? That's not, that's not how the world works. That's not what we're told, but that's what Jesus says. That's God's order of operations. That's God's logic. Another example, 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the word of the cross is folly, to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Folly, power. Yeah. These, are, these are conflicting ideas, right? Let's get this, let's let, let's let this settle in here. Um, why is this? Our world is spiritually inverted. You know what that is? That is called a lens ball. I love that. I'd never heard of that before. Uh, but I had a colleague actually bring this idea of an inverted lens that's sort of like, that, I'm going to use that. I looked it up, and this is literally a three-dimensional like ball, glass ball. And it's designed in photography to be able to take the horizon or the image behind you and literally invert it on its head. So as you can see here, and we're all, we all know that's upside down. 
intuitively, but our world sees reality in an inverted way. Um, it distorts the image so that what is real is flipped on its head. In John 15, uh, 19, it says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but you are not of the world. But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And happy Sunday, like that's, they're, they're, it gets better. The point is, this is a, this is a prescriptive uh, word from Jesus that says, we, we don't see things the way the world sees it. We don't process the way the world processes. These are, there is, there is a, a, a appropriate recalibration that we need to do in order to see the world the way the Lord sees it. Amen? So I'm going to hearken on some, something that uh, Pastor Mark taught us when he was here. Our world says progress first. Baby steps, achievement, maybe accolades, you know, some, some, some level of, like, and all of that eventually builds to a, a feeling of fulfillment. Oh, we, we did it. Like, we accomplished it. We, we closed the deal. We, you know, we, we, got, we got the promotion. We, you know, was able to, you know, relationally sort of like make friends, be popular. So I mean, there's so many applications of this, but everything, the current of our culture says progress first, then fulfillment. And then at some point, you work hard enough. If you strive enough, if you achieve enough, then wholeness comes. That's not what our God says. That lens is inverted. That message is flipped on its head. The reality, what God says, is that wholeness comes first. Wholeness comes as a gift. From that flows fulfillment. From, from that flows a level of, 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 of gratification and acknowledgement and receiving of, of what that really means. And then, then the progress begins. Does this, is this... Is this wrenching anybody else's gears? This is not the way that we think, even as Christians, sometimes. We're bathed in an environment and in a world that just rails against this all the time. And so, we have to constantly bring those ideas intentionally and with conviction and lay them at the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, this is not the reality that I choose to subscribe to. I'm not going to strive and earn and try to merit something that brings fulfillment, bring wholeness. No, you've called me a son. That wholeness is complete. And from there comes the fulfillment. And from there comes the progress. Mark loves this statement. I'm going to say it again. This is not, if you feel stuck, if you feel like you're not making the progress you want to make, this is not for your condemnation. This is for your liberation. Because this is the prescription of God's order of operations. We sort of talked about this. I'm going to just re re restate it. Sonship, something Mark's been laying seed on for years around here. Understanding who we are in Christ. Understanding that the work that he completed and the word that he declares over us is reality. It trumps our experience. Sonship is who he says we are. We are sons. And so we're whole in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. That wholeness provides fulfillment as we 
abide. Abide, rest, and remain. Allow him to do the work that he needs to do. We stay engaged. We lean in. We don't shrink back. The progress may not be there yet. We may not see it yet. But that wholeness comes first, and the fulfillment comes as we abide. And ultimately, that fulfillment is what fuels our progress. I love that word, and we're going to come back to that. Fulfillment fuels our progress. Let's, let's boil it down to like us, to where we live. Not only is the world inverted, but our sinful human nature is inverted. Would you agree? Everybody see everything perfect? No, I heard no takers. I'm, read from Isaiah, says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Supra-rational, not irrational, supra-rational. Let's, let's go to the fruits of the Spirit. You guys have heard this, right? What is fruits of the Spirit? Evidence of the Spirit in your life, right? Not something that trees sort of muscle out a popping fruit, like boop, boop, like this. As long as we are grafted in, we're in the vine, that life flows and the fruit comes, right? But these are the evidence of the Spirit in our life. Let's be honest. Are these things manifest in your life? Maybe another way to put it, not as just as Christians, but again, looking at the world, are these things that the world cares about? Are these the things that are exalted in the world? I'm going to read them. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Okay, so far, like these, like people sing songs about these, like I get it, like those are acknowledged. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. This is my favorite one. Gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Evidence of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in, your, in our lives as believers. These are the things that we should be esteeming. These are the things that should be at the, at the uh, as, as we assess our progress. These are the fruits that we should be seeing. Um, I don't know about you. I, it's, these are not the kind of things that I'm constantly, you know, super aware of as like, this is where I need to be gentle. I got to be gentle. <laughs> that is it, just not something that the world puts on a pedestal. I don't know why I keep looking at my notes. I'm so lost. I just, I'm just, we're just going to go. We're just going to go. Let's dig deeper into the inverted nature of how our sinful nature tries to help us, or I'm sorry, tries to cause us to see the world. Who is familiar with this book? Hi, hands high. Okay, several. Dutch Sheets uh, wrote a book called Becoming Who You Are. Uh, We don't often like endorse books from the platform, so to speak, but this is one that uh, we actually teach a class on uh, regularly. There's been at least one. We're going to be teaching it again. And I loved it, read it recently again, and because what it does, it really frames this whole idea of God's order of operations, not an inverted view of how things really are, becoming who you already are. That denotes progress coming after that wholeness and identity is in place. 
right? So this is going to be a bit of a sneak preview-ish, you know, glaze over, but the principles here I think are, are valuable for us. In this book, uh, Dutch walks through the component natures of what comprise us as people, right? Uh, we've, you've probably heard this before, but there are three components. There's the spirit, which is our eternal person that's going to live forever. That part of us is immortal, believe it or not. It's kind of a crazy way to think about it. There's the soul, which is, this one's the one that always got me a little like wrapped around the axle. I'm like, wow, spirit, soul, like, are they they kind of the same? No, they're different. The spirit is our eternal person. The soul is our mind, gears, smoke, emotions, and will. It's good to sit on that for a minute and let that sink in because animals have souls. I have plenty of them, and I can tell you they have will, they have a mind of their own, and they get emotional. Uh, I won't throw any particular species under the bus because we have them all, uh, lots of them, too many. But, but I will say that uh, these are components that animals have. It is different from a spirit. And we all know about bodies. Flesh and blood, what we're looking at, meat suits, right? <laughs> this is our body. And it's hard to sort of, sort of like pull these things apart because we exist as one, but there is a natural and designed hierarchy for these elements, right? In our sinful nature, the way we popped out Our body leads. Our flesh leads. Our appetites lead. And then the soul, maybe on our very best day, we think about something before we just do it. The mind, right, is is involved. Emotions, some of us are led a little bit more by our emotions than maybe our mind. Uh, And ultimately the will, the decision. What are we going to do? How are we going to, what decisions are we going to make? And the spirit, the spirit is at the end of this hierarchy at, as in, in, our, in our unregenerate state because why? Why is that? Because at the fall, way back when, our first mother and, I'm sorry, mother and father, Adam and Eve in the garden, they fell. And when they did that, the spirit man died. And so it's at the bottom. It's not alive as we come into this world. And that's a problem, right? Is this descriptive of why, why it is the world may be the world that it is, the, the way it is? It's, it's not that people don't have the image of God on them, but we come out of the womb and into this world at a marked disadvantage from being able to do anything of value or good. There is a reordering that has to take place of these elements of our being that has to come into alignment with God's order of operations. We need to submit and change the way that we think and change the way that we operate to be in alignment with God's plan. God's order of operations is that spirit man leads. And when I say that, let's distinguish and differentiate here. When we talk about being walking in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, we're talking about capital S, Holy Spirit, 
right? He is the one who we follow. He is God who lives in us. But there's also a spirit man, our eternal component, that was designed to sync up with the spirit of God at creation. In the garden, Adam walked with God like it was easy. He spoke with him. He conversed with him. He communed with him. And it wasn't hard. It wasn't that he couldn't hear it or it was just, God, I'm laboring for your presence. I'm laboring to hear your voice. It was easy because his spirit man was in sync with the spirit of God. That is the proper state of things. That is what we should be striving for. But the soul doesn't like that. The soul and the flesh rail against the spirit. However, when the soul, our mind, our emotions, and our will come into alignment underneath the direction of the spirit, that is where good things happen. <laughs> that is where fulfillment comes. That is progress that we were talking about. Um, Another animal example, because that's just it. You guys don't know, I live out a little bit outside of town, and we have a little hobby farm. I call it a hobby farm because we lose money on it. <laughs> uh, but we have a whole mess of you know, furry creatures, sheep, goats, chickens, dogs, cats, probably other things that we sustain. Uh, but I'll tell you something that, that we observe, um, especially among the chickens and the dogs there is a hierarchy. And it's an appropriate hierarchy. Uh, what I mean by that is, you've heard like alpha, the alpha male thing. That's not just sort of a, I don't know, colloquialism from, from culture. That's deriving from this idea of packs and flocks. Like there, are, there, is, there is a pecking order, literally, pecking order with chickens, where they, they establish sort of who's leading, who's in charge. A lot of times it's a rooster. Anybody want a rooster? <laughs> may or may not have a rooster who's available. The, uh, the point is that when that alpha is established, everybody else is happier. There is a sense of calm and order that is established where when you either pull that alpha or you put new animals together, it's a, whole, it's a mess. They're figured... They're, Everyone's trying to figure out where they stack. Where are they? That, that chaos is akin to the soul and the body trying to lead. They have no place doing that. They weren't designed for that. It's an unfair thing to ask that our mind would be able to lead our spirit in a way that's in alignment with God. That our uh, emotions would be... Emotions are terrible leaders. I mean... I don't know how to say it. That's not mine. That's, from, that's actually from Mark. Like, how often is being afraid going to lead you to a good decision? Or is being, you know, overly excited about something going to lead you? There, there's a tempering that has to happen. Emotions are great followers. They're terrible leaders. And the will really is a product of those other two. What you're thinking, what you're feeling. If those things are left to operate on their own, it's... It's a bloodbath. Feathers everywhere. <laughs> so, another thing that I guess I'll say, this understanding 
of God's order of operations in ourselves, in the world around us, this is where we make progress. That's a, that's a funny word. I don't, I don't know if it's the best word. It's just the one that I landed on. I think as Christians, a lot of times we, we, have, we calibrate ourselves. Like, are, am I where I should be? Am I as far along as I ought to be? I'm saved. I believe. Sonship. Wholeness. But am I progressing? Am I growing in God? It's a fair question. You know, I, I, I think expectations and good theological understanding of how does this really work? Jesus says, like, he who the sun sets free is free indeed. He said it. So it's true. We have to somehow... We have to somehow tailor that with, or not tailor, I'm sorry. We have to apply that to our experience. Our experience is not the leader. What Jesus said is the leader. So how do we wrestle this down? There's a common thread. We are bent by our sinful nature and conditioned by our striving world to think and act inversely to God's order of operations. We have to know that. You have to know that. That's why, that's why we benefit from gathering and hearing the word taught. That's why we need to hear the gospel preached to us over and over again. It's not because we haven't heard it before. It's because we leave and everything else, like a current, just tries to sweep us in the other direction. And all of a sudden, we, at the end of the week, we're like, wait a minute. You come back to church and you're like, did I even believe that? I need to hear it again. I got to hear it again. Come back over here. There's another term, this was not in my notes, because I'm not really using them. <laughs> the, uh, the concept of brainwashing, it's got a really negative connotation, let's be real, because like, who wants to be brainwashed? Right? I mean, it, has this, it has this sort of implication that it's against your will, that you're sort of someone is you know, malevolently just indoctrinating you, and you're like, you know, not good. I'm not talking about that kind of brainwashing. Let's switch the words around. Washing of the brain, wash, immersing of the brain, right, in a truth, in something that we know is true. It may not be, it may not be uh, intuitive. It may not be what the world says. It may not be how we're wired in our nature, but it's what God says, and it's how he operates. And so we need to hear it and hear it and hear it and wash our brain in that. It's renewing of our mind and putting on the mind of Christ. So... Where does this leave us as Christians? This will be fun. I, uh, I think everybody hears from God in different ways. He knows how to reach us in different ways. And um, as I was praying over this time, he dropped this, an image into my head. And it was not fully baked. Uh, but it's something that I hope will take some of these concepts that we've just been kind of wrestling down and oh, everything's backwards and inverse and can't you know, wash our mind and, 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 and reorient to the, to the God's order of operations. These are all good concepts, but what I would like to do is take those <clears throat> and, Holy Spirit, do your work. Apply that to kind of an analogy. I want to put skin on this for us. I want it to be something that we can kind of put edges to, understand, lay hold of, and bring it home to where we live, all right? And I know this was not of me because I don't know anything about cars. 
And this is a car analogy. So buckle up. <laughs> Not mechanically inclined, but I think I know enough about the basics to sort of do this. We all drive cars for most part. Every, mostly know how to drive a car, right? You didn't walk here, probably most of you. There, there's, there's technology. There's, there's, uh, there is a way that we were able to accelerate the journey, right? Um, we're familiar with that. So what I'm going to try to do is break down some things that are familiar for us about how we operate in a vehicle and how it is that we can reorient the way that we see God's order of operations and how that works out in our life. All right. So the first thing, the wilderness. By the way, before I go any further, this is a wildly imperfect analogy. So there's going to be probably all kinds of heresy that you could find in the corners of these things. Just give me a little leash, please. Like, we're just going to work with the stuff I'm talking about. If you want to email me, like, do I don't have, I'm not going to give you my email. You can come find me. You can come get me, poke me on the shoulder, and we will, uh, yeah, email Mark. Uh, so there is, there is something, and I will try to call out the real blatant things, but just stick with me, and we'll just stick with the, the, the elements we're talking about. The world is the wilderness. It is a lost and wild place that is fraught with dangers, with beasts, with uh, unpredictability. We all know that there's somewhere we need to go, but we don't know how to get there. The terrain is difficult. The journey is dangerous, and the distance is too far for us to ever make it on our own. That's the world. It's kind of a dark picture. I've tried to pick a pretty image, but I should have probably picked something from like Mordor, you know, like the Lord of the Rings. Like this is, this is, but I couldn't find a picture of Mordor with a Jeep on it. So we went with, we went with this. Yeah. So the next thing, the car. Everyone is offered access into protection, salvation. Jesus, in this analogy, he's the car. Is the door locked? No. The door has been unlocked. The work has been completed. The technology of the like you didn't come up with it. I didn't come up with it. It's, we, we approach it and we see the solution and the answer, and that's Jesus. Amen? We open that door. We play a role. We receive the gift. We step into him. We climb into him. The car doesn't come into us. He comes into us. That's one of the things. But we're in Christ. Amen. And we're saved. Hallelujah. Wholeness is achieved when we climb in the car. Sonship is achieved when we climb in that car. But are we moving yet? You don't just climb in the car and it just, it's not a, like a train or a ride at Silverwood. This is, a, this is a vehicle. Like there's an element of operation that occurs. So, but it's important to establish your whole when we step in to Jesus. One limitation. I, I have to say it. Uh, this is not a mechanical transaction with Jesus. We have a relationship with Jesus, right? So don't email me. <laughs> After getting into Christ, there's a key on the dashboard. What is that key? It's his word. 
It's his promises. We can sit there in the car, saved and whole, and look at that key, and we will sit there. Saved, but stationary. The key is God's word. This is the abiding. This is what we do when we reach out and we lay hold of his promises, and we rest and remain, we abide in his word. Are you with me? Without it, we are still in Christ, but we're not moving forward yet. And this is the part that I just feel like is for somebody or some people today. That key goes somewhere. Actually, you know what? This is kind of old school because I know they have the buttons now. So I'm sorry. Like, rewind like a decade or two where you had to stick the key in the ignition. Does anybody like too young to know that? Okay. Just occurred to me, like, don't want to lose you. The key at one point in time went into the ignition. Zill does. You turn that key and what happens? This is where the mechanically inclined people know a lot more than I do, but I know just enough to be dangerous. There's th- that ignition is tied to something called a spark plug. I actually told this to George a couple weeks ago, and he was like, you're going to lose people here. I'm like, well, <laughs> so be it. This is part of the analogy. Spark plugs are essentially something that you turn that key, a little electric juice comes from the battery, spark, and what happens? It ignites the fuel in the engine. Okay. There's power in the battery. There's power in the fuel. It's latent. It's not activated yet. It takes the key, turning it, spark, ignition. That spark is faith. And this is what I hope, if you don't remember anything from this time, this is what I hope sets seed in your heart. We know, God, Mark has been, has been beating it into our spirits and souls and bodies and everything that we are sons, that we are whole because Jesus says we are. We've stepped into the car. That wholeness is complete, right? Wholeness precedes progress. I think we are kind of know that. We're resting and waiting on him to understand how does that progress occur. Faith ignites the power of the Holy Spirit in us and everything roars to life. This is critical to understand and I think it's where a lot of us get stuck. Engaging with, meditating on, and clinging to God's word causes a spark of faith to arise. Even a little spark can ignite the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives so as to be able to die to our soul and flesh and walk by the Spirit. Amen? To me, like, not a coincidence that it's the key. The key to the whole thing, right? I mean, this wasn't my idea. I drive a car. I don't know how they work. (laughs) There is a limitation to this analogy. I do want to call out another one, right? In a vehicle environment, spark, life, roaring engine. With faith, it is not a binary on and off switch. It is not something that, like, you're either pregnant or you're not. You understand what I mean by binary? Like... 
there are degrees and gradients of faith. Jesus talks about ye of little faith, and he marveled at the faith of the centurion. Doesn't mean that a little bit of faith isn't good enough. Well, let me say that differently. It doesn't mean that it's meaningless. But there is a gradient of faith with a gradient of power that's accessible to you. So I don't want to get hung up on this spark plug thing where, you know, we have this idea, we just turn the key and it's done, right? This is a process. This is something that we work out. This is something that he asks us to lean into every day. And as that faith grows in equal proportion, our power, that power that is accessible through, uh, to us through the Holy Spirit grows in part. Ignition. Holy Spirit empowerment. I love it. Jesus was astonished. I want to go back to those verses that we read earlier to kind of just get it in our hearing at the outset of the, the story of the centurion. You guys probably know this story. We just read it. But I want to hearken and remind. There's a word that was used in that if you caught it. Marveled. Jesus marveled at the great faith of the centurion. That Greek word is taumatso. I think that's how you say it. It means marveled and amazed. Can you stop for a minute? Jesus, King Jesus, creator of the universe, our savior, God, marveled at the faith of the centurion. He only uses that term two times when he's describing faith in his entire ministry. The other one we read as well. Nazareth, his hometown, where he was raised, surrounded by the people who knew, I don't know, the stuff he broke when he was a kid. Right? He, they're familiar with him. There was a level of, you know, I say this, this is not maybe their intimacy. He, he, they sort of just know because they were around him all the time. That, Brad, if you recall, said offense. And that offense squelched their faith. And with no faith, in Mark, the story is told in other Gospels, but in Mark, it actually says Jesus could do no miracles other than a couple small healings. That should get your attention. It should get your attention that Jesus, our Lord and Savior, when he walked on the earth ministering to people, that the faith of the centurion, who is not even, he's a Gentile, he was part of the oppressive regime, his faith activated healing for his servant immediately from a distance. You didn't have to go there. That faith was the key. Likewise, for the folks in Nazareth, their lack of faith inhibited, I'm sorry, I don't like saying it, but it's what's in the Bible, so I have to say it. It inhibited the kind of miracles that Jesus could do there. That's a big deal. Remember, this is something Pastor Mark taught before he left. The Holy Spirit applies what Jesus supplied at the cross. Do you guys remember that? It doesn't mean that the work of the cross with Jesus was insufficient. What it means is that he gave us the Holy Spirit 
to apply the power, the healing, the victory, the authority that was purchased at the cross by Jesus. And what activates that power? Somebody. Faith. Okay. So that engine is roaring. Still not necessarily moving, are we? We're sitting in a driveway, and then there's, there's encouragement, there's faith, we feel it. But that acceleration that occurs when you depress the gas pedal, that comes through obedience. That is akin to obedience. In our flesh, are we able to do that? Not well. <laughs> Anybody can do it? Well, you don't have to raise your hand. I'm pretty sure the human condition that we discussed earlier, the soul being put out in front, feather pecking, that's not a word, I don't know where that came from, the, the chicken fight thing, the soul being out in front is not how it's supposed to be. We need to come into alignment. We need to be able to access power to be obedient through faith and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. This is where obedience becomes possible. This is where we are enabled to walk by the power of the Holy Spirit to do things, to die to the flesh, die to sin, and walk in the power of God. By the way, this is not a Fred Flintstone car. Who knows? Some people have no idea what I'm talking about. There's the car, and then there's the feet sticking out of the bottom. And that's the way he powered it. That, that is the opposite of what we're talking about here. That is striving. That's what the world says. That's the inverted lens. Get in the car and work. Get there. This is not a Flintstone church. Didn't think I was going to say that. There's words coming out of my mouth. As faith grows, our ability to obey increases and acceleration occurs. Progress. God's order of operations. Not how we not how we think about things. Steering. I started thinking at this point, like, is this, I, is this analogy getting a little long in the tooth? George is like, you're going to lose them. Are you with me? Yes. Okay. Steering. You can hit that gas pedal, and you can drive right off a cliff. You can hit that gas pedal and drive right into a lake. Who's seen that scene in the office? Somebody. Sorry, I, I couldn't bring myself to put a clip from the office at church, but there's two of the characters are in a car, and there's like one of them's driving, and he's following the GPS, and the other guy's like, that's a lake! He's like, no, no, that's what it says, I gotta go, that's a lake! Into the lake. That'll happen if you're not following the right, the right guidance. The Holy Spirit, I hate to say it like this, he's way better than this, but he provides direction like GPS drives provides direction. There are course corrections that he provides. I don't know if you guys use some of the, some of the new, probably all of them, I don't know, provide like a traffic sort of, you're like, oh, there's a, there's a clog up here. We're going we're gonna to go this way. I was driving uh, in the Bay Area recently, and it was, I was needing to get from, you know, from the suburbs back into the airport early in the morning. And I was driving through there, and I had the GPS on, and there's lots of freeways in and out, on and off. And it's traffic, stressful. I live in Hobby Farm, right? This is not my world anymore. And the GPS took me into downtown Oakland. 
I love the people of Oakland, but I think that I would rather, unless called, not go there without a plan in a rental car, not knowing where I am. But I got to drive through places I didn't plan to drive through. The point of that, that, that analogy is to say that there were things on the freeway that I didn't know that were blocked. And so the GPS guided me into areas I wouldn't have chosen to go. But guess what? I avoided all of that traffic, got right back on the freeway, and praise the Lord, I'm here, go Oakland. But the Holy Spirit knows things we don't know. He can't anticipate things we couldn't possibly anticipate. And so when we submit ourselves to his leading, he will take us where we need to go, when we need to go there. And the journey. The journey outlining God's order of operations is how we make progress and grow in God. I think that all of us would like, our preference would be that somehow this whole journey stuff is just, we can, can we just get there? Can we just be there? Can we just arrive? Can we teleport? Do I need a car? And I think sometimes expectations are set that way, even in the church. There's this idea that like, you come to Jesus and maybe, you know, like, maybe some people think all your problems go away. That's, that's not true. <laughs> but even maybe a holier version of a bad expectation is that, well, all my problems in the earth might not go away. I might not have all the money I need and all the you know, health and wealth and all that. But, but at least he's going to clean me up. All of my stuff, all of my baggage, all of my weights that have beset me in the flesh, like he's going to deal with all of that. Freedom. He who the sun sets free is free indeed. It says that. I'm not denying that. But this is a journey. He does this for a reason. We need faith in order to make progress. He hardwired his world this way by design because that way there's no place for pride and there is a dependency on him that is, becomes hardwired as we lean into his order of operations. I'd rather be there too. I'm not going to lie. I, don't, I, I didn't draw this up. Right? This is God's, remove that lens ball, I love saying lens ball, and see things for what they really are, the way God designed things to be, the way God designed us to be. That progress is hardwired. The journey is hardwired. We have to die to the flesh, die to the body, reassign the soul, our mind, will, and emotions, and subjugate them both to the spirit, our spirit. It's designed to follow God's spirit. And when we do that, we move. When we do that, we get out of idle. When we do that, we find a way to navigate through life's challenges in ways that we could never have anticipated, fueled by the Holy Spirit. 
shifting gears. I had, uh, so cool, like I said, blessing to be able to prepare a word for you guys because the Lord has just been popping all kinds of little things in my, in my way the last couple of weeks. And, and actually, I wanted to share a story about one last element to this journey that I think is important for us to know. I had to go to a different metaphor. So you're going to have to like take all the car stuff and like file it away. Who said park it? <laughs> Cheerio. We're going to talk about a different analogy. I'm just going to tell you a story. So I was in my office. I work from home during the week, this week. And from my office, on a work call, on the whatever video, I heard this squealy, screamy yell from outside. And if I didn't have three boys, I might have been concerned. As it was, as a, as a father, I knew something needed my attention. So left the call, walked outside, and as I was walking out, I felt like the Lord said, pay attention here. There's something here. So I walked out, and one of my sons, who will remain nameless, was... Uh, in our orchard, we have a, uh, you know, a little, a, a little ground stand of fruit trees. They're small and they're growing and it's hot. And this time of year, they need a lot of water. And uh, if I was mechanically inclined, I would have installed some drip lines, but I didn't. And so my children get to work out their salvation with fear and trembling by being obedient to their father's request to drag a five-gallon bucket and a hose around and water all our trees every day in the heat. They're being refined. Amen? So I'm out there, and I'm walking down towards the orchard, and I see my son with a hose in his hand just shaking in the sky. Dad, there's no water. And I thought, my immediate response is kind of like, like I don't, it, it doesn't make me happy, but I, the Holy Spirit, again, I just felt like was, there's something here, be gracious. And so I approached and I, and I said, what's going on? And he said, there's no water, dad. I can't water these trees. There's no water. And I'm looking at it, it's dribbling out. He's right, there's no water. And you know where this is going because I gave it away in the image, uh, as the, I'm like, I know that the source is available. The supply is available. To use the revisiting the wells analogy, the access is there. He's holding the hose. There's no water. There's a kink in the hose, right? We all know where this is going. So instead of just, instead of just fixing it for him, I said, hey, walk with me. Let's figure out what this is about. And so we walked, kind of traced the hose back. It was wrapped around a tree and eaten at the bark. And I'm like, okay, so this is part of it. Let's for here. And we walk and we see, inevitably, there's a bill kink in the hose, right? It's shutting off the supply. And in that moment, what I realized was that... And, I don't think that this happened here, but this is the picture. The enemy would love to kink our hose. 
He loves to quietly and surreptitiously, without any knowledge, without announcing, get in there and just crimp it off. The same hose that was functioning, was producing life, suddenly is not. What's happening, right? God's order of operations. We're, fun, we're operating in all of these things. It was working. There's life. There's provision. What happened? The enemy loves to seize on weakness, vulnerabilities. And we cannot deny the fact that there is a hostile, supernatural regime that is seeking to impede our growth in God. There's not a demon under every rock. There are demons under some rocks. Let's not kid ourselves. Our battle's not against flesh and blood. Sometimes we can be doing everything the way that, even, even, even operating in the way that God would have us operate, and there can be attacks, there can be things that can occur, and in the same way that I came down as growing in Godfather, right, I'm trying to be a good father, our Heavenly Father steps in and says, let me help you, let me show you what happened here. Well, let me walk you over here and identify an area where weakness, vulnerability, maybe a soft spot in the hose, the angle that you put, like it allowed the enemy to come in and crimp it off. And the thing I love about this analogy for me was that I was able to show my son how to identify this in the future. The heavenly, our Heavenly Father reveals things to us in His goodness and in His grace, things in our life that we wouldn't know otherwise that allow us to take authority over these things when they try to come and beset us in the future. Amen? At the same time, part two of this, oh, I'm way over time. Wasn't even paying attention what it is. There's, the hose was too short. I needed to get him another hose. It's not that he was unable to get a hose, but in this analogy, I needed to step in as his father and provide something that he wouldn't be able to. And sometimes that's the case as well. I'm not saying that, um, that we don't always need God. It's in, by, in the name of Jesus and by the power of the blood, he has given his children authority over that supernatural realm when it incurs on his turf, when there, is, uh, when there is company that's unwelcome, when the legal rights are not there. We belong to Jesus, amen. He gives us authority to stand against that. But there are times when we, we absolutely need to just call on it. We don't know. We don't know what it is, right? He provides the extra hose. He provides the provision that we need to be able to address the wiles of the enemy that we may not be able to ascertain in our, in our, in our own minds. Okay, let's bring this home. I'd like to just kind of try to summarize. I knew coming into this that this was going to be a gangly sermon. There's like how many different things can we try to just mash together and stick up like shish kebab skewer through it. But this is, this is where we landed. His ways are not our ways. 
the mind of Christ. It's a mystery. But we can put it on. We can receive the mind of Christ and see the world the way he sees it, care about the things he cares about, know the things that he knows, be, have revelation from the Holy Spirit of things that we couldn't possibly know. Supra-rational. We must be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We have to take our brain, our mind, and dunk it in the truth over and over and over again because everything else in culture is going to try to do it as well. They're going to dunk it in their vat of garbage. That's not, we bathe our mind and wash it in the truth of his word and we reorient ourselves to his order of operations, not what was hardwired into us, not what the world tells us. We follow what the Lord has prescribed as the way. Wholeness precedes progress. Let's land that plane. Let's anchor that. Get that to sink down from your brain, from your mind, into your spirit. Mark's been preaching this for years, literally. Sonship, wholeness, done. You're in Christ. He's in you. We don't have to try to question or struggle with or somehow, I'm not, progress is not happening. Progress comes next. Progress comes later. He can do stuff immediately. Amen? Like, I'm not trying to box him in and say, oh, no, 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 like, you'll never. He can deliver people of things immediately. He does it. Amen? I believe for that. Sometimes, though, in almost every situation, everybody's life, there are things he leaves out there. There's stuff he leaves unaddressed because that requires us to lean in. That necessitates our faith and our trust in him. We get all our stuff fixed. That's, that's prime real estate for pride to get a foothold. Progress occurs when we follow God's order of operations, when we put on the mind of Christ, when we reorient when we have washed our minds in his word and in his truth. That's when the engine revs. That's when faith sparks the fuel. And yeah, I got ahead of myself. Laying hold of God's word, the key. Remember the key? God's word, his promises. It sparks faith and it ignites the Holy Spirit power in our lives. Are you with me? Nope, that comes next. Here's what we're going to do. I would like to practice application of some of these ideas. There's a lot of abstract things that I tried to put skin on. Hopefully some of that landed with some of you. Really where I felt the burden for this morning and for you know God's people was that, that aspect of the spark, faith. How does that work? How do we initiate that? And I just, I'm reminded of the fact that without faith, the Bible says it is impossible to please God. Impossible to please God. Those are strong words that we need to take seriously. If, if you feel stuck, but you know you're in Christ, you don't feel like you're progressing or moving, I have some promises of God that I want to share with you as sample keys for you to lay hold of as a means of igniting, 
of ignition. We hold on to his proof. We lay hold of that key. And through that, faith arises. Faith, the centurion had faith that astonished Christ. It mar- he marveled at it. Our faith grows in relation to the degree we cling to the promises of God and abide in his word and in him. It also activates the power of God on our behalf. We get to choose, and this is so important as well. I had this come in from multiple places. I felt like it's, it's, it's a very important concept for us to get. In Joshua, real quick, Israelites coming out of the land of Egypt, right? Wandering in the wilderness, entering into the promised land after generations. There was a clarion call that he made, and it was, choose this day whom you will serve. Choose. That's, that's a decision. That's a will. That's a soul component, right? Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There's a choice involved here. It's not something that you just get, I don't know, showered over you in a Holy Spirit anointed worship moment. We bring our our soul into subjection to the Spirit and we apply the will to choose to follow Christ, to choose to believe his promises, to choose to activate faith. So what we're going to do, sorry, one more thing. Hebrews 11.1 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. That language is like, like it's really hard for me to get my head around because evidence and substance this is what we think of right proof evidence but faith or the things that we believe for have yet to materialize they are things that we have not yet seen them come to fruition somehow there's a fulcrum connector moment with with faith where God actually calls it the substance. He calls it the evidence. Are you getting this? It, it's still sinking in for me because I'm an evidence guy. I'm a substance. I want to see it, feel it. I want to experience it. I want to see the fruit of the Spirit in my life. I want to see strongholds fall. I want those things to just become manifest before Then I'll believe. That's what I want. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, faith is the substance of the things hoped for. It is the evidence of the things you don't see yet. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's the spark. It's the spark for ignition in your life. The empowerment of the Holy Spirit. It's not binary. It doesn't go on and off. It's just not just one day done. You got to lean into it every day. And the degree to which you exercise faith by holding on to God's word is the degree to which you see progress in your life. It's the degree to which you see empowerment in your life. It's the degree to which you see strongholds fall in your life. Some of you probably have verses 
promises of God that have been either spoken over you or have been life verses or things that you're praying into, leaning on. If that's you, I would like you to very intentionally go before the Lord and hold onto that promise like you're seizing that key. You're laying hold of it. And we're going to exercise faith. We're going to see that principle of God's promises activated by faith and empowered in your life. If there isn't a verse that you have that you know that you're just like, that's it. I know what it is. I'm going to give you some low-hanging fruit. I'm going to give you some promises of God that are outlined in Scripture that are for believers. What I'd like to do, we're just going to we're take some time just in silence. Don't, don't make it awkward. It doesn't have to be awkward. We're just going to take some time and meditate on these promises of God. And as we scroll through them, I'm not going to read them out loud. I'm just going to let them, let them roll through. Read them. And if it's for you, if you feel like that promise is for you, lay hold of it. Grab a hold of it. It's for you. It's the key. Okay. There's six verses, six promises here that speak to his faithfulness, his healing power, his promise to always be with and protect you, to guide you, rest for the weary, and the provision of wisdom. Let's take some time and abide in his word and allow him to speak to you. And as one of these comes, it can be multiple. You can claim them all. Hallelujah. Let's hold on to that, and then we're going to worship and let the transformative work of God's word and his Holy Spirit activate faith in our lives. May it rise, Jesus. May the faith arise in your people that we may see greater things 